question that hit me when I was looking at all these lessons is, why in our lectionary does the Holy Spirit intrude during Epiphany, an appearance that seems out of sync? Jesus' baptism is supposed to be front and center, and Pentecost isn't until May 19th. So what's going on? Pondering all that, I remembered driving down Interstate 40 last year from Oklahoma City to the Indian Nation Turnpike and seeing a roadside billboard that announced, Jesus loves you. I thought to myself, Jesus doesn't even know you. He died 2,000 years ago. Such pious misinformation is why the church needs a doctrine of the Trinity to keep the character straight. Who does what when? Between the Father and the Son, it is the Holy Spirit that is the present tense presence of God. The Holy Spirit who knows and loves each one of us with the same affection and commitment we heard this morning from Isaiah, one of the prophets inspired and energized by the Spirit. Now, as I think Father David has mentioned several times, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruah. At its root, ruah is a movement of air, breeze, or wind. In other words, breath. The life principle dwelling in all living, breathing things. In the first creation story of Genesis, it's the spirit, the wind of God, that moves over the face of the waters. Interesting to note, by the way, Ruah's feminine ending. So I say with authority that her presence had been felt for centuries by people of ancient Israel and many other faith traditions. The Spirit has been freelancing in history for a long time. Just different names. In the story of Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. And years later... Peter and John traveled to Samaria to pray with and for the people there who had accepted the word of God. They'd been baptized, as it said, but hadn't received the Spirit. So they laid their hands on them and they received it. Now for us Christians, Holy Spirit is the same attitude saw embodied in Jesus. The same posture toward life. The same caring attitude, non-judgmental, toward people. After the shock of Jesus' death dawned the realization of his living presence experienced in the breaking of the bread, which we do every Sunday. Every Sunday is a little Easter this way. But the experience of Easter was so amazing, so full, that the celebration had to be split into three parts. I don't know if you know about this. First, resurrection. Death could not kill Jesus' spirit. Then ascension, necessary because the disciples couldn't be empowered as long as they had this dependent attitude on Jesus. And finally, Pentecost, the disciples themselves empowered by Jesus' spirit because what goes up must come down. Pretty good. All part of Easter. Though the spirit has been around for many centuries, the experience of Pentecost is seen as the birthday of the church, the outpouring of the Spirit binding people together in a new organized reality, Jesus being the glue holding it all together. 
Now, one time I was interviewing an author because I had written some things. And uh, I asked him, well, do you, are you part of any organized religion? He said, no, I'm an Episcopalian. <laughs> so in a sense, Pentecost is the first time the Holy Spirit incorporated, embodied itself in an organization called Ecclesia, the church. And here we are, the living body of Christ, the resurrection of Christ right here. The Holy Spirit active in the world through us, as Father David so often affirms, our individual vocations activated, motivated, guided, and energized by the same Spirit people experienced in Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is as crucial to our faith as Creator God and Redeemer Jesus, because the Spirit is that leading edge, preventing the church from becoming a lifeless religious relic, mummified, unable to give life. Holy Scripture calls that worshiping idols. And I see a lot of people in our time in all religions worshiping an ossified Christianity with mindsets stuck in the past. It is the Holy Spirit that is able to lead us beyond the merely cultural, which too many religions, including parts of our own, get bogged down in. The Holy Spirit can lead us into new truth not known in ages past, scientific and spiritual. The Spirit enables us to be an inclusive church, for example, rooted in the past, but not stuck there, exemplified by the ordination of women and our church for all aspects of our ministry. And as I mentioned this morning, here is a living example sitting with us here. A woman priest. Who would think it through the years? No kidding. The Spirit continues to be liberating a dynamic reality which develops as it is confronted with new needs, allowing us to reflect on the experience of the past in order to adapt to the new challenges of that present. Our baptism covenant, which we said today, brings the Spirit up to date with huge implications. Because God's love, we heard expressed by Isaiah this morning, is the same love and value God has for each person. That means the derelict on the street. I saw a bunch sleeping in uh, San Jose the other day. It was so sad to see them all covered up, but sleeping in the doorways of the buildings there. God loves the weirdo with strange colored hair. And I saw a lot of those downtown. The person you can't stand for political or whatever reason, each person in China, Afghanistan, or Syria, or anywhere else, each person everywhere, no matter a person's ideology, religion, or sexuality. The Holy Spirit is not Christian, folks. It's way beyond us. It really is. Even the person who doesn't know God exists, God loves. That means even you. As Isaiah writes so beautifully, you are precious in my sight. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Said in love, not control. Big difference. 
So, why the Holy Spirit barging in during Epiphany? Because through that Spirit, we are connected to the same God who is involved in the ancient prophet's call for justice, in Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River that day, in the experience of Peter and John with those people in Samaria, and here with us right now at St. Luke's. Amen.